Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to The District, a podcast about politics and culture from the spectator world. I'm your host, Teresa Mall, and I'm joined today by Dave Seminara. He is a writer, author, and former diplomat. He also writes for The Spectator, and we love his stuff. So, Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for inviting me, Teresa. So today we're talking about something that's pretty disheartening and depressing, but we luckily have a solution for it, at least a partial solution, and that is the rising instance depression and mental illness among young people, among teenagers, specifically uh, female girls. And Dave, I know that you have two teenage sons and that you coach both girls, teenage girls and boys, track and field. So tell us what you've seen among this age group. It's been a while since I was a teenage girl. Not that long ago, but you know, (laughs) just the influence I can't imagine of social media and so much news and chaos and the the effects of COVID, all those sorts of things I'm sure have really affected teenagers. You know, their life is already kind of hard with peer pressure and fitting in and all that stuff. So what are your uh, your observations? Well, I have teenage boys, but I, I know a lot of teenage girls, too, from coaching two teams. I coach both tennis and uh, track and field for a junior high school here in Florida. And I find that, first of all, they all spend so much time online, specifically with TikTok. And it's distressing. I run a, you know, I'm also part of a carpool, too. So it's not just my sons, but I'll, every morning I'm also usually driving, in some cases, like four or five teenage boys to school. They're just constantly showing each other TikTok videos. And it's it's just, it's such a tremendous waste of time and all the curated content that they're getting. Some of it is, I don't know. I think that it's 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 not enriching. Let's put it that way. Whatever the opposite of enrichment is, everybody has frivolous wastes of time. But I mean, sometimes I think kids are spending hours and hours and hours a week on this stuff. And so I view, I'm a sports addict, longtime sports addict. I absolutely love sports. I can watch almost any sporting event. I've also covered a lot of sports over the years as a writer. So I find sports to be a a tremendous diversion for not just kids, but also for adults. And I just became a coach like about three years ago. And I was always previously the sort of parent who just wished that other people would volunteer and take care of the coaching duties. And I was always the person to try to avoid such, such things. And, but once I started coaching, now I've sort of gotten addicted to it. And I realized that it offers, you know, as a parent, so this is, we'll talk about for the benefits for kids, but there's also benefits for parents too, to volunteer and to be a coach, I think, is that you get a really unique window into your, into your kids and their social circles. You get to know so many of the children at their schools and you're able to observe them sort of in their natural habitat. And they let their guards down a lot, kids too, in a way you get to interact with them in a different way as one of their coaches. And I just find that the more hours you can divert children from social media and TikTok and all of the other time-wasting things that they do, the better. So I find that you know involving kids in as many sports as possible is the way to go. But these days, at least here in Florida, and I know many other parts of the country, it can be difficult to do, especially if your kids are not great athletes, because the trend is towards competitiveness. 
and your kids can get cut from teams as my kids have been, or your kids can, can find themselves on the team, but just sitting on the bench constantly and just getting frustrated because they don't get a chance to participate. So I find that, you know, we talked about, you know, sports maybe being a panacea for some of the problems like depression and others, and they can be, but sports are tricky too, because they can also deflate a kid's confidence too, if they don't have the right coaches and they don't have a good support system. Yeah, I agree with that. I know that in high school, I was on a very successful basketball team and I love basketball, but I'm not very tall and I didn't get to play very much. And I go to all the practices and it turned into a year round sport. You know, we were expected to work out, work out on the off season. Summer practice was quote unquote voluntary. But of course, if you didn't go to them, you didn't get to play. So I think sports in a lot of places, as you said, have become so competitive that unless you are an all-star athlete, then it, it turns you off and you're scared. You know, you're, you don't want to, you know, really waste your time doing all these practices and stuff. If you're not going to play, of course, there's joy in practice too. But yeah, I think that's that's kind of, I don't know if it's particularly or specifically an American problem, but it seems, you know, we are a competitive country and everything eventually turns into a contest. So I'm wondering, do you see a solution to that? I know there's, you know, more fun teams. I know that you had a lot of kids come out to take part in your team and you were struggling with that. Do I cut them? What do I do with kids? You know, you want to win and the kids want to win and it's not fair to put in kids who are not as talented and and uh, the other kids suffer from it. But there has to be, you know, the, the B team or just a for fun club group, those sorts of things. Yes. Well, I've walked a tight tightrope with this, with both of the sports that I coach, tennis and track and field. And I would say, again, for any parent, if you find yourself wondering, why is my child not in the starting lineup of whatever thing, you want to try becoming a coach. And you'll actually, you might be surprised at how you feel about things. Because before I did any coaching, and I just had my children on teams, I was always wondering, well, why in the heck is, are my kids not playing? Or why, why does the coach, you know, prioritize winning so much? And, you know, why does he just keep, you know, certain kids in the lineup and such? You'll find that you, you might surprise yourself that your attitude changes it a little bit when you become a coach, because the natural inclination, I think, for almost any coach is to try to be successful and to try to win. That is a very strong inclination. As much as you try to bite it, fight it back, there's a natural inclination to want to be successful because let's face it, losing is not fun. And the whole team morale goes down. When you start losing, the team is depressed. They're upset. You're complaining. The parents are not happy too. So it's a natural inclination to try to win. However, I've found also that there's also, it's also a really destructive impulse to, I think, play only the very best kids. And there's a lot of coaches who fall into that trap too. And I really try to strike a balance. It's a very delicate balance of, first of all, the philosophy that I've had for both of my teams is that I've allowed everyone to come onto my teams. I have not ever cut anyone. And this leads to a lot more work as a coach. I'll be quite honest. That's another thing. Another reason why I didn't realize before there's a practical reason why coaches like cuts. The more children and parents you have to deal with, the more work it is for you. The more texts you receive, what time is the practice? Can I get it right here? You know, just all of that is magnified by, I can't tell you how much. I mean, so for example, my track teams, I have boys and girls, varsity and JV. In this past year, I had like 54 or 55 children all told on the four teams combined. That's a lot of kids and it's double the number of parents. You know, in many cases, there's two parents who want to be involved in that too. So if I had 54 kids, I might have more than hundred parents to deal with. That's a lot. So there are practical considerations for why 
cuts are made and they're not all about ability. But I find that the thing with cuts is my children have been cut from teams. And I find that what happens, like, for example, my children were cut from volleyball at our school. And guess what? Now they just do not like volleyball and do not play volleyball. Now, could they have been good volleyball players? Who knows? But I think that what happens is if you get cut from a sport, you just don't participate in that sport. You never have a chance to learn it. So I think specifically at, at young ages, I think in, in my kids are, you know, right now they're 13 and 15. One of them is in high school. The other one's in seventh grade. But, you know, they start cutting kids in you know, fifth and sixth grade and, and, and such like that. Well, you know, when you're like 10, 11, 12 years old, that is the time to be learning and participating in sports. So I think that there's coaches have to sort of look at the big picture and allow kids to be members of teams and also find ways for them to participate. It varies from sport to sport. Tennis is very difficult, <laughs> much more difficult than track and field. A tennis, you throw a kid out here who does not know what he's doing, and guess what? Um, that child will get shellacked and then not feel very good about losing you know, six love, which is a bagel in tennis, right? But in track, I've found that there are places you can sort of hide children who are maybe not as fast or for the field events, let's say, skillful or you know, talented, specifically like relays, for example. And in our track league, we also have a couple of events that are open, meaning that you can put as many kids as you want in those events. So like, for example, in our, in our track league where we run, the 800 meter and the mile are completely open. So I can throw in 10 kids in those races if I want to, or 20 or how many ever. And with relays, for example, relay races, like, you know, we have an A team and a B team for each of our relay events. So on the B team, I don't mind putting slower kids in, let's say, the second or third leg of a relay where they're running far away on the track. The other kids and the parents can hardly see them. They're around, way around the other side. There's not a ton of pressure on them. They're not going to be noticed that they're finishing in last because they're not finishing at all. They're not running the anchor leg. And I find that I would much prefer to let a child start one leg of a relay where they're not really going to hurt the team that much anyways. And I know our B team in the relay is probably not going to do that much anyways, giving them a chance to be a member of the team and to run and to, you know, compete basically is for me, that means more than I'm willing to, to do with that, to, to deal with having a bigger team and having to find places to put kids who are not fast. I would rather just do that than have a much smaller and faster team, because I think it serves a bigger goal of getting kids again, away from TikTok and all of the other malevolent influence in their lives and give them something healthy to do. And I give them the experience of being part of a team. And I found out that some kids, you misjudge them. They may not be fast when they come to the tryout, but guess what? If they work hard, they can get better. Or you find that, guess what? He's not fast, but guess what? The kid can throw a javelin or he can actually jump really well. Children surprise you. One of the, one of the best runners that I ever had on my track teams the first time I saw him, I did not think he was an athlete at all because he simply did not look like one. I was wrong. Coaches can get coaches can be very wrong. First impressions can sometimes be very wrong because you stereotype in your mind of what a good player should look like or what a good athlete should look like. And you are sometimes incorrect and sometimes people improve. And on the flip side, sometimes people are, get worse. Kids who think, wow, you know, that kid is you've already seen him play some other sport. And you think, boy, this kid's going to be tremendous. And then they aren't. They surprise you in a negative way. So I find that just letting everybody be on the team, it's not a perfect solution, right? Because there's an expectation. Once you allow a child on the team, they expect to play, right? So there's a responsibility with that too, of, of, of allowing everybody to come onto the team. 
then at some point you are going to have to put those people in the lineup and it might um, damage your chances depending upon where you fit them in specifically like in tennis tennis is tough it's more difficult than track and field i mean i i brought in people into the tennis team who could who could barely play tennis to be quite honest and i put them in the lineup sometimes and it was frustrating to lose to other schools who we'd beaten previously when i put our a team in and i give people on the b team b and c teams a chance to play and then guess what we lose and that's not a good feeling but it's just something you sort of have to live with. And in tennis this past year, I'll be very honest, um, in our league of eight teams, we came in third. We should have been second. It happens. You know, in the last couple matches of the season, I put in some people who I wanted to give a chance to participate, and we lost with those people. I was okay with that, but it didn't feel great. I have to be honest with you. I'm telling you, that's why I say you're walking a tightrope, because as a coach, you want to win. And you have to, you're fighting against yourself. You're having this internal dialogue in your brain all the time. There's a strong temptation to play your best people. You have to fight against that and occasionally put in other people. I can see why you are a successful diplomat. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I really, I really appreciate your attitude having been a teenage athlete myself. I, I totally understand where you're coming from. Uh, can you describe some of the uplifting moments of your coaching career that you've seen obviously you're very passionate you put a lot of thought and energy into this and you care a lot about your kids and I'm sure you've seen some of them maybe some outsiders who kind of warmed up and and just really enjoyed being part of something you know I'm sure with all of the social media and TikToks and all that stuff it can be very hard for kids who maybe don't have friends at school to make friends this virtual world can be so cruel and difficult to find your place. But whenever you're thrown in to run with somebody and hand them a baton, you're kind of like instantly, I don't know, connected. <laughs> so there's so much value that can be learned through sports, so many life lessons. So do you have some examples or some ob observations, your experience with that, like actually seeing the mental health benefits of sports firsthand? Yeah. Well, as you said in the intro, I coach both boys and girls. And I love my boys teams and my girls teams, but I have to say that the girls teams, it's more fun and more rewarding to coach the girls teams in a way, even though I have sons, I don't have girls, but for one thing, the girls are great listeners and they are much more, I think they take instruction really well. And I think that I've seen so many girls build confidence and, and gain a sense of confidence in themselves that they didn't have before. And I think that more of them, I don't know, there's a certain bravado with a lot of young boys that is not the same with girls, as I've noticed. I mean, I hate to make generalizations, but I can only tell you the children that I've coached over the last few seasons, a lot of little boys have a certain, they just show up with a certain bravado. They think they're good at a lot of things. And there are certain girls, young girls who have that too, but not as much, I've found. And I've found that a lot of times, you know, the first day of the season on tryouts, I like to ask the kids, so what events do you think you're good at? What do you think you could do? Just to, that doesn't mean I'm going to put them where they want to be, but I'd like to ask them that. And I get so many young girls who are like, well, I could only run 100 meters or I could only run 200 meters. And I say, no, I think you could run a lot more than that. You could do 400. You could do the 800. You could do the mile. And they'll look at me like I'm crazy. And I'll tell them by the end of the season, you will be running at least 800 meters. Whether I start you in that event or not, I want you to be capable of doing that. And you will do that. And a lot of times they look at you like you're nuts. And I've found everyone is able to do that. And it's in our season is short to and track to it. So like a month long and we start practice. This season is about a month 
we start practicing a few weeks before that. So it's like six, you know, six to eight week season, something like that. And they, they gain confidence in themselves. And I find that it's really, you know, they look at this big track and the idea of going around it twice, which is the 800 meter or four times, which is the mile seems incredibly intimidating. And then they realize that actually they, they can build up to that and they can do it and they can be successful at it. And they, they you do see them gaining confidence in themselves and you get people who a few weeks before were only there because their parents dropped them off there. And they didn't even really want to be in this sport, but their parents just said, you're doing this. And they didn't want to be there. And then you get some of these kids who are telling you later on, like, coach, when's the next practice? Or can we practice again? Or can we do this? And, you know, I had a, um, a parent tell me a couple of weeks ago that their daughter asked them to find a track summer camp for them. And now they signed her up for, they found a track and field summer camp here in Florida for the summer. Now, this is somebody who a month ago was not interested in this sport at all, didn't know that she was good at this sport, you know, had never run before, never been, you know, a member of a team. It wasn't necessarily a star athlete on any other sports. So didn't perceive herself as someone who was an athlete. That's a, that's a really key thing that I like about track and tennis too, is that people who haven't been exposed to these sports before can find something that they're good at, that they weren't good at other sports necessarily. They thought that they weren't good at other sports because they tried soccer and it didn't work. They found themselves on the bench or whatever. I love to find kids like that. And this is somebody who <clears throat> had not been very successful in a lot of other sports, but found that they were good at track and then started to really like it and gain confidence in themselves. So you do see like, it's really rewarding. I love to see kids who, you know, who can grow in confidence and realize that they can set goals and work towards achieving those goals. And in, 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 that's the thing that I like about track is that it's very measurable, that they can see that they're making progress based upon how fast they're running or in the throwing and the jumping, how far they're jumping and how far they're throwing. It's also such a, a life lesson that I think that's why a lot of athletes historically have been conservative because it's very easy to measure like, no, I ran faster than you, so I won. It's very, It's none of this like kind of liberal, you know, wouldn't have anything to do with feelings or kind of vague mentality. It's just, it's a pretty right and wrong, black and white situation <laughs> that teaches some lessons there. I'm wondering, we spoke a little bit about how hard it is to get kids away from TikTok, to get them away from screens. I know growing up, especially my, I have older brothers, being in sports was a big deal. Being a jock, you know, you were the cool kid at school. I feel like that's we're not really there anymore it's more popular to be an influencer i think uh, there was some study that like 80 percent of kids when asked what they want to be when they grow up was an influencer which is quite disturbing in many ways but um how do you i know you do some active recruiting of kids but how do you kind of do you force them as you said you know the parent dropped the kid off and said you're doing this I'm sure there's many different methods, but were your sons interested in doing track and field or did you kind of have to convince them? I know you you put some boundaries on how much social media they expose themselves to and things like that. So you're you're already aware of that. But I'm sure it's it's not easy. And to, to, you can lead a kid to track and field. But can you, I don't know, make them make them enjoy it, make them give it a chance? You can force them to try it, but I would not force them to stick with it if they don't like it. And I'll tell you experience from my own son. So my older son is into track and that's why I became a track coach. Nobody else wanted to do it. And the PE coach had just been fired at our school. They asked for a parent to volunteer and no one volunteered and the season was going to be canceled. And it had been canceled the previous season because of COVID. So I said, fine, I'll do it because my son wants to be on the track team. So he was into it. It was good. My younger son, Last season, last year, I made him do it. 
because he'd never been on the team before. And I was coaching. I said, you're coming. That's it. And I said, give it, you know, give it one season. If you don't like it next season, you don't have to do it. So then this season, my younger son uh, said, I don't want to do it. And I said, no, just come out, you know, just come out to the tryout, at least come to the first practice and see how you do and so on and so forth. And he's, he's not fast. <laughs> There's really no, no way around it. Track and field is not his sport. So I did allow my own son to quit and sort of just become like my assistant or sort of team mascot in a way. And that was okay. I don't think that you have to, because he plays other sports. Tennis is really his main sport and we play tennis together a lot and he's on my tennis team. So, and he's on, he's on a basketball team too. So it's like, it's okay. I think that, I think that every child honestly should play at least one sport, should participate in one sport. If your child is not doing any sports at all, yes, it is a good idea to just force them to try track. Why not? Because in track and field, if you find someone who is a good coach, they'll find something for them to do. And if they're not fast, then guess what? They can probably run distance because you can build endurance. That's something that you can get into, or they can figure out how to throw or jump. So yeah, I think that they should give it a chance, And but I wouldn't force them to stick with it. But I think that you've got to give it a chance, meaning don't just go to one practice. I have had people, especially I find that is one of the downsides, I think, to not cutting anyone is that when you make a team and you there actually are cuts, it feels like an achievement to be on that team. And I think that in some ways, some people might value that a little bit more. If you don't cut anyone, then I find also sometimes people just take sort of a lackadaisical approach towards it. And like, they'll come once, ah, I didn't really like it that much. They don't come again or something like that. That's natural. I think you're going to have a certain amount of attrition. You know, if you have 55 people sign up, you might end up having 48 of them be real members of the team. That's okay. But I think it is also okay to just force your kids to try it, but they've got to give it a decent chance. Don't just let them go once and say, oh, I didn't really like it. I'm not going back. And even, you know, besides all the benefits of learning to work hard and track your achievements and improve and teamwork and all those sorts of things, just being outside and exercising and learning hand-eye coordination, these are things that I think, you know, we took for granted 10, 20 years ago, but now you actually have to, like, force kids to do that. You know, it used to be a natural thing. Oh, after school, I'm going to run around and play in the neighborhood with my friends or whatever. But that's something we actually actively have to have to keep an eye on. You do. And, um, you know, I found, too, that I constantly ask the kids to help me in recruiting efforts because especially for my girls teams, we always have enough boys who come out and try out, but I'm usually short on the number of girls who show up. And so I ask them to help recruit their friends and tell your friends that it's fun and they and they can help with that, too. Although sometimes the danger is they, they view other people coming onto the team as competition and they don't want that. Thank you for listening to this episode of The District. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe to our channel. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. To read more content on similar topics, visit thespectator.com.